All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hope. I am excited to, to be able to, to join you today and to be able to continue this series of Summer by the Sea. And uh, for me, it has definitely been an opportunity to kind of reflect back of how I got to grow up next to a lake. So let me tell you about my lake. I grew up, uh, this was my lake, Bimini Lake. It's about four and a half hours northwest of here, and it has always been a special place for me. So I kind of, you know, it's a, the whole lake is about a four, a four mile uh, loop around it. It was definitely quite the accomplishment as a boy to be able to ride your bike around the entire lake. Uh, I, this is where I grew up to, to learn how to swim. And as I grew into a teenager, um, the number one is where the beach is located at. And it was quite the accomplishment to be able to swim across the breast of the dam, which is uh, labeled number three. My house was at number two. So I had just a short little walk to go down to this beach. And I would spend my summers there, hours unaccompanied, no snacks, no water bottles. I was just at the beach from about 11 till it was time for dinner. And my tummy told me when to go home. So this was a very special place for me. The next slide shows uh, you know, my kids standing next to uh, at the beach. It's a, it's a beautiful place. Every summer they would bring in more sand and that sand would just erode down off to the beach and go into this lake. Because like who likes to walk in water and not know what they're stepping in or mud or rocks? That's not my lake. My lake has a sandy bottom. It was pristine. And it was a beautiful place. The sunsets there were gorgeous. Like who doesn't enjoy seeing the reflection of a sunset on water? It definitely takes a sunset to a whole nother level. And we're thinking back to Jesus and in Galilee, and I can just imagine when Jesus and the disciples were going across the Sea of Galilee, where there's times that the sunset would just cause them to, to pause and just take in God's beauty. And that Jesus in the boat created all of it. You know, what a masterpiece they got to see. So, but I also, like, you know, the next slide I'm going to show you, this is a picture from uh, on, on top of the, the dam. And uh, you can definitely see there was hills all around this man-made lake. And um, we would coast our bikes from the top of the hill and, and go down and see how far you could coast along the dam. And this one time I remember taking this bike ride with my dad. I was probably around, you know, no more than 10 years old. And we would have fun throwing rocks into, into the water. And it was too high up to be able to skip rocks. But man, if you got a big enough rock, but not too big that you could throw it into the water, to see that big splash and that big kerplunk, that was definitely fun for, for me. But this one time, my father witnessed me throw a rock into the water and saw the big kerplunk and a fish came bellied up to the water and floated down. It was the craziest thing. My dad and I, if he wasn't there, I, it, it, you know, it would have been hard to believe. But we saw this happen. 
And now I know why I had that moment as a son, as a boy. Because like now I'm te teaching about this other miraculous catch, catch that Peter had. So we are going to be telling you, I'm going to be telling you about uh, Peter catching a fish with a coin in its mouth. So let's, let's pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity to brag on you. You are the mighty king. You are the king of kings and the lord of lords. And it's a privilege and an honor to tell about your character and what you've done for us and how unique of a king you are. You don't lord it over us. You pay for us. You are the mighty king, and I am privileged to be able to talk about you today. Use my strengths, use my weaknesses, all for your glory, God. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so here we are. We're going to read uh, Matthew 17, 24 through 27. So as you get a chance to be able to turn there to these four verses. This is definitely a unique account in Matthew's gospel. In, in fact, the whole Bible, it's, it's a unique time because Jesus is going to instruct Peter to go and do this fishing task, and it's going to result in a miracle. But the Bible doesn't really talk about what this was like, what happened, what Peter's reaction was. It was just, go and do this. It's unique. It's also unique that you see a different fishing technique. Peter would have been used to, like many of the other Jewish men around the Sea of Galilee, to cast out a net, to be able to catch a, a load of fish, a lot of fish. But here he is fishing with a line, with a hook, going after one fish. It's a very unique little passage here. But let's go ahead and, and read um, Matthew 17, uh, 24 through 27. I always think I'm going to be able to read, uh, read it from back there, but this time I came prepared. So here we go. <laughs> All right. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. All right, so here we have Matthew recording this story in his gospel. And Matthew was a former tax collector. He was a tax collector of a Roman tax. And, you know, Rome was uh, in control of Israel at that time. And the fact that this Israelite, this Jewish man, was collecting tax to pay for the enemy that was in control, it was really seen as a, like, he was a traitor. Like, this is, like, he was like the worst of the worst guys. And here he is as a disciple, so a former tax collector. And you can see where this tax collector might have had this story be included in his gospel. And 
you know, maybe he didn't go into the details of the fish because he was tired of the fish stories. The true entertainment lies in stories of taxes. So here we have him sharing that. So to help us get through these four verses, I'm going to go ahead and break it up into blocks. First, we're going to talk about the H&R block, which is going to help us understand the temple tax. Then we're going to talk about identity block, which is going to protect us from forgetting who we are. This is the idea of being children of a king. And next up is stumbling block. And this is why Jesus went ahead and paid the tax. But sorry, the fish doesn't get any coverage, but that, that got the chopping block. So thank you, thank you. I got my blocks in. We're not done with blocks. Okay, now uh, let's go ahead and focus in on H&R block and understanding uh, this tax. So again, in Matthew 17, 24, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Now, Jesus's ministry started when he was about 30 years old, and this tax was assessed for males, Jewish men, 20 years and up. So he had been paying this tax for the last 10 years, and it's not a, it's not a, a Roman tax. This was to support the temple. So pretty much any good Jewish man would pay this tax. So why are the tax collectors asking if Jesus was going to pay the tax? Well, first let's talk about the temple. The temple was this massive building. Here's a picture of, of the temple. This thing was big. This thing was awesome. This thing was a building where God's presence was on earth. But Jesus was starting to gain this reputation of saying some things against the temple. He even said that he was greater than the temple. One man greater than that building. He also said that he could destroy the temple and in three days rebuild it. I wish I had that contractor. But still we have this, you know, Jesus was seen as this common man who would have been required to pay this tax. And if he didn't pay this tax, it would be more of a scandalous thing. You know, you would get headlines of Jesus of Nazareth opposes God's temple. That would be a scandalous headline. But, okay, so this whole temple tax has its beginning parts in Exodus 30. And it has, you know, quite, quite the, the scripture passage here that we're going to read. But before we dive into it, I want to just talk about um, atone or atonement is one of the words that we're going to hear. And that's the idea of God making um, or making right a wrong that was done. So, you know, imagine if I broke that window over here. I could go and ask for, you know, say I'm sorry, ask for forgiveness, but the idea to make things right would be to replace that window. That would be the idea of atonement. But, so the other things to talk about with this, you're going to hear in Exodus 30 about them referencing uh, the tent of meeting. 
And that was this tent that was uh, created, uh, that was the, the house of worship. So this is, this is the tent, much different than that massive building. And this was, again, God's dwelling place on earth. And this one was a portable one that was able to move with the nation of Israel. And this was God's dwelling place. Now, this tax that we're going to be reading was associated with a census that was going to happen. And it's recorded in the book of Numbers. And, you know, was it a one-time tax? Was it supposed to be an annual thing? Well, it wasn't always collected, but it definitely in times in um, the history of, of Israel that it was being collected. And, and with times of Jesus, it was uh, in place. But in, in this passage, we're going to hear um, terms such as shekel and gera, and those are terms of weight. And the currency wasn't really created back then. There wasn't like quarters and nickels and dimes, and everybody knows kind of like how much those that's equivalent to. This was all based on weight. So the, they're referencing weight of a precious metal to, to be able to say how much it's worth. So with that in mind, we're going to talk, you know, here's some tax advice. So it's going to be referencing one shekel, which is half of an ounce, which is about the weight of an empty soda can. In this, um, in the census, 603,550 men were counted from the age of 20 to, I think, 50. There was nearly 10,000 pounds of silver collected. In today's value, that would be $6 million worth of silver, or about $10 per male. And this was, at the time, equivalent to two days of labor. So, yes, and that's my favorite soda. If you guys get to preach up here, you get to show everybody what your favorite type of soda is. <laughs> all right, so now that I said all of that, now we can read Exodus 30. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moses, when you take a census of the Israelites to count them, each one must pay the Lord a ransom for his life at the time he is counted. Then no plague will come on them when you number them. Each one who crosses over, so you can imagine not being counted and then crossing over and now being counted. So they crossed over, be counted, uh, is to give a half shekel according to to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 gera. This half shekel is an offering to the Lord. All who cross over, those 20 years old or more, are to give an offering to the Lord. The rich are not to give more than a half shekel, and the poor are not to give less when you make an offering to the Lord to atone for your lives. Receive the atonement money from the Israelites and use it for the service of the tent of meeting. It will be a memorial for the Israelites before the Lord, making atonement for your lives. All right, so here we have God speaking to Moses. And in this, you have some really imagery of what had happened to uh, the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt. You hear that, you know, they're doing this so no plague 
You know, that's kind of like their first mention of that word plague since being in Egypt and hearing and, and, and being a part of all these 10 plagues. It would have been really vivid in their minds that they did not want any plagues happening. You also have the idea of crossing over. That's the kind of the same idea of when they crossed over the Red Sea. This is God kind of being able to remind them of this significant imagery that's been taking place. You also have the idea of, um, of owing God for their freedom. Like God rescued them and that they are in debt to, to God and they need to pay this, this ransom. You also see that the rich and poor have the same value in God's eyes. It's not that, you know, just because one is more blessed that, they, that their life is worth more. No, everybody is on equal footing before God. So this resulted in a ton of silver being collected. Again, nearly 10,000 pounds. And it had quite the um, significant um, purpose behind it. And it was, had some practical reasons, and it had some um, very uh, spiritual significance to it. So each pole that you see that goes around the tent and uh, that's holding up the tent and then also the fence around it all had a base all made out of silver. Each pole was capped in silver. Each curtain was hung with silver. So this was God's plan. This was his design so that he could dwell with his people. And this silver was collected in order to, to be able to do that. But where did all this silver come from? Well, God provided it. In Exodus 12, verse 36, the, the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they would asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. God gave them the silver and all of these precious elements of value to be used in his temple. So God is asking for this tax to be taken, but it's actually everything that God had, had given them. And so this is kind of where you get to see the character of God and how he pays and how he provides. And he... Um, and, and, and the Israelites, you know, didn't want to hold back what God had given them because of this idea of a, of a plague and trying to avoid a plague happening. But we see that, that Jesus pays is something that I want you to be able to see through this whole passage, is that he pays. Just like the Israelites heard reminders of what God did to rescue them from Egypt, here we have, we can also see what Jesus does for us. Jesus paid the price of his death on the cross for our sin. Jesus made atonement for our sins, allowing us to have this right relationship with God. And it's this free gift. He is giving it to us. We just need to receive this free gift of salvation. So for us, we can definitely see this connection of there's this bigger thing that was happening with this temple tax that wasn't seen so much at the time. But again, as we're moving through our blocks, we've moved on to the identity block. See, we're, we're getting through this. So next up is Matthew 17, 25 through 26. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? from their own children or from others? 
from others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said. So it's definitely the idea of talking about earthly kingdoms and earthly subjects to that king and the king's children. And we can, you know, Peter was following along. It was a very tangible thing. And I really appreciate that, you know, Jesus didn't just, you know, as almost we tend to treat our children, they come in, we yell, we scold. And here we have Jesus just inviting with a, in a, a question and, and entering into what was happening. He was aware of what just took place. So you know, we see here that uh, Jesus is explaining something earthly to be able to connect to it, a spiritual uh, connection to it. And when we are reading this, and I know I kind of wrestled with this first of, okay, spiritually, who's the king? Who's the children? I know Jesus is the son of God in the Trinity. Is he a child? And in this case, Jesus is the king. And in the book of Matthew and the Gospels, Jesus is very much talking about the kingdom, but he doesn't spend too much talking about that he is the king. There's definitely a few times that it's definitely um, proclaimed that Jesus is the king. You have the three wise men that visit Jesus and offering kings and bow, uh, offering gifts and bowing before him as a king. There's one disciple early on, that, uh, Nathaniel, that claimed Jesus as being the king. But then you have his whole earthly ministry and him coming in on Palm Sunday and being, you know, being received as the king. But you never really get the idea of Jesus saying, I'm the king. You have Pilate that says, are you the king? And Jesus said, well, you said so. But his his focus was not really just proclaiming to everyone that he's the king. We see this as a future event where he is going to be coming as a king and we're going to be able to enjoy him as a king. But his focus on his teaching was not that he was a king and, and, and treat me like a king. It was more describing his kingdom and how we should live in his kingdom and what the king is like. So we see that the king would be exempt from paying a tax, and his children are exempt from paying the tax. And exempt is definitely a tax word that, you know, when you're in your 20s and you start figuring out, you know, paying taxes on your own and filling out H&R Block on your own. What am I supposed to pay? What am I exempt from? Ugh, you know, it's, it's a growing pains of life. So we, so we have this word exempt. And, and some translations in the Bible use the word free. Then the children are free. And for me, this definitely kind of sounds like that restaurant promotion, you know, kids eat free, you know, which is a really good one. And it seems very scriptural here that, you know, that, you know, kids should always eat free. But we are free. Children of the King, for those that believe in Jesus, are able to be entered into his family. Galatians 3, 26 through 27. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Notice how Jesus is all through that. He is the reason 
that we can become children. He is the reason that, that we're able to be a part of his family and to be like him and to be identified with him. It is all that is what Jesus is doing. And again, you have this idea that we are all equal. So it's not poor or rich, slave or free. We are all equal in Jesus. But again, Jesus pays. How do we become children of God? Well, it's through faith. Believing that Jesus' death on the cross was, your forgive, uh, was our first for forgiveness of sin and allowing Jesus to be king of your life. Now, that's not something that this is all about Jesus. Jesus is central to all of all of this. This is just us believing. It's not that we have to clean up our, our own lives. It's not that we have to be a good enough person. No, it is all about Jesus paying. There's nothing that we can do to earn the, the right to be called children of God. This is all what Jesus has done for us. And all we have to do is believe, trust, and allow him to be that king of our life. Okay, we keep on moving. Next up, stumbling block. Again, why, why did Jesus go ahead and pay this tax? So Matthew 17, uh, then the children are exempt, Jesus said, but so that we may not cause an offense. Okay, this word offense, it's a Greek word, scandalon, and it's either like scandal or scandalous. It's where we get that word in our English language. And it's this idea of being able to entice or to trap or to fall away to stumble or offend. Man, how can one word mean that much? But let's try to kind of understand this bigger breadth of it because Matthew just seemed to love this word. He used it more than anybody else. And it's so interesting to me that Matthew, this kind of like before, Jesus, uh, before Judas and his portrayal of Jesus, Matthew would have been that scandalous disciple of this Roman tax collector, traitor guy, disciple, follower of Jesus. He's the one that, again, that, you know, worst of the worst. But he just seemed to be okay with scandals. And there's a story right here about taxes and scandals. It's right up Matthew's alley. So as we kind of try to understand this idea of stumbling block, it's also used in terms of, okay, this idea of a, a trap. And we have Jesus' teaching that if, you're, if your eye or your hand causes you, to stump, uh, causes you to stumble, it's better for you to lose that than to fall into this trap. So you got this idea of like something that's enticing, something that's tempting, and it's that, that do I act on it or do I run from it? Do I, do I get enticed into it? So, you know, here we have this opportunity. I, Matthew records this next um, passage, and connect, Matthew connects it with Peter. So you have this um, Matthew 16. From, the time that, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. 
Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You know, Peter was trying to talk Jesus out of this this idea of the Messiah being the suffering servant, this one that was going to die on the cross. He wanted the Messiah that was going to be that king that was going to reign for thousands of years. That was the king that he wanted. And Jesus and Peter was like, no, you will not going to, to suffer this way. And that's where Jesus speaks up and rebukes him strongly that he did not have the concerns of God in mind. He had his own plan, his own human uh, hopes and, and, and dreams in mind. So again, more of this idea of stumbling block, this idea of causing offense. And this next picture, here we have Joe Carter celebrating the 1993 World Series home run that helped propel them over the Phillies. And for you Phillies fans, this is kind of an offensive picture. You don't like this. You don't want it to be up here. I know some of you are like, stop talking, move on from the slides. I'm going to walk out of here. That's that idea of falling away, of like, this is, this is not what I want. I want to get out. I want to fall away. OK, I'll reprieve. Next slide. Just smaller, just smaller. Just to remind you, there's this, stum this stumbling block, this I don't know if I can go any farther here, I'm enticed, I want to leave. Then Jesus told them, so this is the night that Jesus was going to be portrayed, that he was going to be arrested. And then Jesus told them, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So the disciples will scatter. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And again, Matthew records some of these great times in Peter's life. <laughs> so this is where... Jesus explains to Peter that you are going to deny me three times and that you are going to fall away and you are going to reject me. And it is definitely a significant time in Peter's life and it is something that is going to help change and form him. And, and you're going to see in Peter's life going into Acts where he is... Uh, is wrestling with the, the Jewish law and things to eat and things to not to eat and when to offend and, and Paul confronting him. It's the idea that, that Peter definitely had, um, had wrestled with this, this stumbling block. In Matthew eleven six, this is when Peter was talking to John the Baptist. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And to the nation of Israel, Jesus was a huge stumbling block. For them, it was the idea that their Messiah was going to be this king that was going to reign for a thousand years, not this suffering servant that was going to die on the cross for them. 
even today the cross is foolishness to the earth to the world why is there only one way to god what are you saying there's something wrong in my life what are you saying that i'm a sinful person what are you saying that i am not good enough for heaven what are you saying that it's not inclusive for all this is foolishness this is not what the world wants to hear but i see it as jesus offering the greatest of all time news this is where jesus is offering his life to be the salvation to all he's offering it to all to be children of god to be in his family he's the one that is paying it all he's the one that is doing it all he's not asking for us to clean up our lives and to be this this model of a perfect person we don't even what what does that look like well that's jesus and we can't be him he lived his life like no one else so that he could die on the cross so that he could pay for our sins that is the good news that is what i celebrate that is what i brag about that is the god i know and i love that i just got to tell you all of it <laughs> where am i <laughs> so going back to the passage but so that we may not cause offense go to the lake and throw out your line take the first fish you catch open its mouth and you will find a four drachma coin Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. All right, so Jesus didn't want to cause this scandal where he wasn't going to pay the temple tax. He didn't need to pay the temple tax. He was exempt from paying it, but he chose to do it anyways. He was a servant. He was humble. He went ahead and paid this tax, but he didn't pay it out of his own pocket. In a miraculous event, he was able to have this is crazy. A coin that was probably worth four days of la uh, labor fell into the ocean. A fish was able to swallow this coin, carry it in its mouth. Jesus instructs Peter to take a hook, a line, to go fishing to catch one fish, and it was the first fish. Not to swarm a fish in a net, but just to go to one fish and he orchestrated it and it was the first fish that was caught and in this first fish that was caught was this coin that was able to pay the temple tax for peter and jesus our god can do miraculous things the next slide shows how i was able to creatively put the coin in the fish's mouth see oh there you go <laughs> There you go. That's poor man's Photoshop there. All right. So again, Jesus pays. But this is our king is so unlike any other king you know. Our king, Jesus, pays the tax. He's the one that pays. So it's not just that Jesus pays. Jesus, the king, pays. We are children of the king, and our king pays for us. But so often our focus is on our kingdom, our focuses in life, our hopes, what we want our homes to feel like, what we want our lives to feel like. It becomes our focus, and we're concerned with human things. But our kingdoms that we're trying to build on earth 
never seem to hold up to our expectations. It always seems to fall short. Things continue to fall apart, and we try to put everything back together. Just some more focus, some more, some more effort. I can get everything to be right. But that's a trap. Only God's kingdom can fill our lives with that purpose, with that fulfillment, with that peace, with that joy. Our kingdoms can't do that. Only his kingdom can. Only Jesus himself can do that for us. When we go back to Matthew 16, where Jesus was instructing Peter to get behind us, get, be, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Peter had in mind the concerns of men. Jesus is instructing us to have the concerns of God to set aside our kingdom mindset and to take on his kingdom mindset. We need this daily reminder of not to be caught up, caught up in the concerns of this earth, but to be caught up in the concerns of God's kingdom and what his heart is. And I encourage you to read through the Gospels and to hear how Jesus talks about his kingdom he taught his disciples the prayer in the Lord's Prayer. It begins with, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let me brag about you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I encourage you, start your day with that Lord's Prayer. Just so you have this reminder of the focus of your day, not to be on your own kingdom, but on God's kingdom. Matthew, later on in that same chapter, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus continues to, to teach, to have that focus, and to have our pursuit to be on his kingdom. And our needs, our earthly needs on earth, our clothing, our shelter, the things that sometimes we get so stressed about being able to provide for our families. Jesus says, trust me, don't worry about those things. Pursue my kingdom, and all those things will be added unto you. Jesus pays. Jesus, our king, pays for us. If you, are, if, you don't, if you have not believed and put your trust in that Jesus is our king, I encourage you today to become a child of God, to put that belief in him, and to have king, Jesus be the king of your lives. If you, like me, struggle with what kingdom am I focused on, Start this week, start even now, just your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and to seek out what God's kingdom looks like here on earth, and what does he pursue, 
how he cares for the poor, how he rescues those that are in slavery. I love the ministries that we can support here at Hope, where we can get behind, where God's kingdom is tangibly lived out. We can do that overseas, we can do that here, but I want our mindset. I, I want you to experience the king and his kingdom now, not just waiting to experience the king and his heavenly kingdom that we'll experience one day. The good news is that we don't have to wait. The good news is that we can experience God's kingdom now. God, I thank you for this opportunity, again, to brag on you as our king. Thank you, God, for including this story, a simple tax story, where you provided, where you paid, you humbly submitted yourself to be able to pay this tax. God, such good news, such good news that you have for us today. Be with us this week, even today. Help us to remember how you are the king and that your kingdom can be experienced here on earth. In your name we pray, amen.